I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. I'd imagine most people listening to this podcast remember Enron. If you're too young to remember, then you'll almost certainly miss the shaggy joke I'm going to make in a little bit, and I apologize for that in advance. Enron was one of the bigger scams or scandals or frauds or however you want to put it of the last century. Basically, management fooled regulators for years with fake holdings and off-the-books accounting and used that to grow the business into the world's largest. At their peak, they claimed to have fewer than half the employees of Microsoft, but somehow 5x their revenue. The Houston Astros played in Enron Field after a 30-year, $100 million deal for the naming rights was signed in 1999, a deal that only lasted two years before Enron went belly up. Totally separately and wholly unrelated, did you see that Crypto.com bought the arena the Lakers play in? Should be fine. Enron had everyone fooled. They were named Forbes's most innovative company for six consecutive years, which should make you feel good about never getting Forbes 30 under 30 because maybe these guys don't really know what they're talking about. Unless you did get 30 under 30, in which case, well deserved. There's an article that sort of marks the beginning of the end of Enron. It's a bit tame in retrospect, simply questioning whether Enron's $90 per share stock price at the time was overvalued. Within six months, they'd be out of business. An interesting part of this piece, and something that's become well-documented after the fact, was sophisticated investors, industry leaders, really smart people frequently asking the question, how does Enron actually make so much money? But most people didn't let that question get in the way of a good story, and the story was that this group of super smart people, all who'd been the youngest whatever at wherever before starting at Enron, had cracked the code. The stock went up 20% or more every year and retail investors and funds poured more money into it. The stories we tell ourselves are powerful and easily engulf fact and rational arguments. The reason I'm starting off today's pod this way is because I've felt a little bit like this lately. Like there's a story or narrative startups are chasing without understanding exactly what it means. Just assuming that because other people seem to agree it's good, that it is. I'm also talking about this today because I recently heard an interview with the woman who wrote that original article talking about how she thought the management at Enron, many of which are in jail, weren't actually bad people, that they hadn't set out to defraud, how it was a series of decisions that slipped and skidded and then snowballed into what it became. This is obviously the most extreme example you could possibly have, but at the core, it's a problem lots of entrepreneurs are faced with. They haven't been purposeful about what kind of company they want to build. They just go along with the narrative of how to build a business without thinking about how it impacts them. Then lots of small decisions push them further and further off course without them noticing. It usually doesn't end in fraud, usually just in a business that doesn't work. A huge percentage of emails I get these days are from super early stage entrepreneurs looking for help raising money from VCs. They almost always have a blocker. They need to build the product, they need to quit their job, they don't know where else to get money, and money is what they need. What happens probably 90% of the time is the founder and I start by talking through what we'll talk through today. We think about the fundamentals of the business, the fundamentals of the founder, what they want, what'll make them happy, what they simply won't negotiate on. 
This ends up being eye-opening. It's like when you buy a house and pull up the rug and see what the floor underneath looks like. We want to see what the core value is here, what the founder's relationship to that value is, what that value needs to grow. And then we make a plan. And that plan basically never has a next step of let's call 100 VCs, not because VCs are evil, they aren't, but because the entrepreneur hadn't actually put enough thought into what they actually wanted to build. And once they know, the next step isn't usually trying to raise money today. There's more important work to be done. A thoughtful, purposeful company isn't going to happen by accident. But if you are thoughtful about the business you want to build early on, the results can be astounding. Today's goal is to help you think through the type of company you want to build. We'll hit on three big pillars. First, what makes you happy? Second, what do you want to build? Something that's easy to scale or something that's hard to destroy? Third, what is your non-negotiable? We're going to start with what makes you happy. And if you just got a pit in your stomach because shit, what does make you happy? Don't worry. When I ask people this question, they usually react like I just kicked their dog. A question that shouldn't at all be personal feels that way because we so rarely think about it. We're going to make it easier. Let's dig in. After, a little smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. What does make you happy? After entrepreneurs get over the shock of the question, they usually respond by telling me what they think they're supposed to say, maybe what they think Steve Jobs might have said. Things like doing the work or talking with customers or one guy actually said the sleepless nights. Once we get that crap out of the way, I reframe the question. I think of happiness in two ways. And by me, I mean Daniel Kahneman in a book I read. And now I use it because I love it. Happy in your life and happy about your life. We'll start with the first, happy in your life. Meaning, what do you like doing every day? You're going to spend one third of your life on this business if it works out. And this is your life. You've only got one. How do you want to spend it? What do you want to do? A good way to think about this is to pull out the old calendar. Tell me about what you did last week. What jumps out? What was the most fun? What did you enjoy? What gave you energy versus what pulled energy from you? What do you do significantly better than other people? What are you proudest of? This question tends to be pretty hard too. I've asked it a lot to myself and I still struggle with it a bit, but I have made a list of three things in the work world that make me happiest. And when you really dig into it and ask this question to lots of people, you begin to realize that happiness almost always equals momentum, movement, growth. I'm happiest when I speak with smart people, when I write, when I read. I'm exceptional at the writing part, taking what I read and what I learn and putting it into formats that help other people make jumps. So that's what I've organized my business around. And for the most part, it makes me happy. When identifying this is hard, and it's always hard, I like to push people with anti-goals, the things you don't like, because that can be easier. Maybe you hate meetings or hate selling or hate talking to strangers on the phone or hate writing emails or hate managing or whatever else. It's unlikely you'll be able to get rid of those things completely, but again, you can design your business and your life in a way that minimizes or maximizes them. Working hard on something that's hard for you that you don't enjoy probably is not a good use of your time. You'll create more value elsewhere, and that can likely pay for someone to take this other thing off your plate. List out what makes you happy in the moment. 
how you like to spend your days. List out your anti-goals. Then move on to the second happiness piece. Happy about your life. What are the big things you want to achieve? Then realize that you're hiring this startup to achieve them and dig deep because the emotional reason, the thing that matters is not going to be at the surface. So maybe your instinct is that you'll be happy about your life if you make lots of money and have lots of employees. Use the old five whys to figure out what the underlying reasoning actually is. Why will money and employees make you happy? Maybe it's because that means validation. Your parents will finally accept you, or you can put up a LinkedIn message that says, honored and humbled to raise money. As one very honest person once told me on a Zoom call, quote, I think this will help me get laid. If validation is the reason, that means your happiness depends on other people, and that sucks. That's bad. That doesn't count. Keep trying. Happy about your life needs to be based on you. We can't leave our happiness in someone else's hands. It's too important. Happy about your life might be if you help a certain customer solve a certain problem. Why? Because you can disproportionately help them and you can feel their pain. And can you fix it? Sure, we're getting somewhere. Maybe it's about a skill set you've got that hasn't dreamed of being tapped in at the previous companies you've worked at. Maybe it's about helping you reach your potential. Maybe you need some time to figure it out. Happy in your life and happy about your life. Both important, neither will happen by accident. And be careful sacrificing on these. It's a slippery slope. And if your business doesn't make you happy, then what's the point? Next, we're going to talk about maybe my favorite one. Easy to scale or hard to destroy? There are a number of fork in the road questions about the type of business you want to build, and I think this is the most important one. And to do it, I'll tell you about the cheapest dinner of my life. It cost about $800 per person. But first, let's quickly talk about the point of a business. Here's how I think about it. The point of a business is to take a process people do already and remove steps. That's it. People do something that takes X number of steps now, and you help them do it in X minus N number of steps. This means there are two pieces, the process and the steps. The process is your customer. The steps are your product. The more important the process and the more steps you can remove, the more likely it is that you'll make money each time the customer does the process. You either want to make a lot of money each time you remove the steps, or you want to make a little money each time you remove the steps, but remove them a whole lot. Back to my cheap $800 meal, and easy to scale versus hard to copy. My sister got her PhD from UChicago. She got the brains. And for years, she talked about how when she did, she only wanted to do one thing. Go out to dinner with our family at Alinea. It's been rated a top 10 restaurant in the world and is in Chicago. I want to say it's $800 per person, including the wine. This is roughly $760 per person, more than I think my family had ever spent per person on a meal. We were skeptical. But she spoke about it for years, and my parents forked it over. It was worth 10x what it cost. I won't get into it here, but over the course of the four-hour dinner, dozens of courses came out that made us feel about every emotion in the books. We talk about that meal multiple times a year. The pictures circulate on text nearly as frequently. It was, without a doubt, one of the happiest days of my life. An absolute steal at $800 a person. There are two types of businesses. Each of them has flavors, but they rarely overlap. Easy to scale, hard to destroy. Easy to scale is a generic dating app in 2011. It's a land grab. You've identified a problem and you've built a product that isn't necessarily hard to copy, but you're going to be hard to catch. Your life is spent running, raising funding, selling, growing. 
It's exciting, it's stressful, and it probably won't work. But if it does, whoa boy, will you do well. And there is motion, so maybe it does work. One type of person loves that business. One set of skill sets flourishes in that world. Most don't. People who aren't prepared for it definitely don't. That's the type of business that the most founders I see fall into without knowing they're falling into it. The other type of business is hard to destroy. Alinea is that type of business. Impossible to copy. Impossible to scale. The value is in the uniqueness, and unique doesn't work when it's big. Alinea is deep, emotional. I went once and I feel connected to the chef. When he opened a cocktail bar in New York City, my wife and I were first online. This is a decision. Easy to scale or hard to destroy. One uses a very different set of tools to grow than the other. The founders of each require very different things to be happy. Which are you? And maybe most importantly, how do you know? The answer is, maybe you don't, not right away. One of the stranger things about prospective entrepreneurs is the lack of conversations they tend to have with current entrepreneurs. Think about five to 10 businesses you admire and see if you can speak with the founders. Learn what it's like to run a business that's easy to scale versus one that's hard to destroy. See what it took to get there and see if it's how you want to spend your life. Reach out to 100 founders and you'll probably get calls with 20 of them. You should know this stuff before you get too far down the road, one direction or the other. The last question might be the hardest. What's not negotiable? I don't like the idea of the metaverse. I don't think I'm being a curmudgeon about it, but I might be. Maybe it'll be great. But here's my thinking behind it. Humans have a certain amount of processing power and it is not going up. Listen to a symphony from the 1400s or read the writings of Stoics. Our ancestors were pretty incredible and just as smart as us. What has changed are the inputs. We are overwhelmed by inputs that we don't have the processing power to deal with. I don't know what that'll cause, but I don't think it'll be good. So the metaverse seems like an enormous amount of sensory input increases for a processor that's pretty well maxed out. It's like if you tried to run Zoom on an original iPhone. But again, maybe I'm wrong. Where this is relevant is in what's not negotiable. When you go from an employee to a founder, the number of inputs you get increases by 100x. And again, your processing power is not going anywhere. That means it's critical to have non-negotiables. One decision that allows you to take a thousand other decisions off the table. Your non-negotiable might be that you won't take any outside money. Okay, first, why? And second, great. You don't have to ever apply to accelerators or reach out to investors. That work is off your plate. You need to build a product that generates profit then, which means you need a team and a customer that'll allow you to do that. Great, focus on that. Maybe yours is that you will build an altruistic company. Great, I hear that a lot, but you need to create boundaries around it. A non-negotiable allows you to make decisions. Quote, being altruistic doesn't let you do anything, but there are boundaries you can create that will. This is all meant to do a few things. To make sure you're choosing a path that lets your abilities function at maximum efficiency and continually move you in the direction of what makes you happy. To make sure you're purposeful about where you end up. To make sure that all the hard work you put in, and this will be enormously hard, is moving you in a direction you like. This framework, knowing what makes you happy, knowing whether you're going to be easy to scale or hard to copy, and knowing what you won't sacrifice on on the way there, will act as a decision unit for you. They'll create clarity and let you move fast towards something, and momentum is everything in the startup world. Speed and correction towards something great. This is the engine that lets you do it. Oh, and in the intro, you might have thought I said there'd be a shaggy joke some younger listeners probably wouldn't understand. 
It might have sounded like it, but it wasn't me. Ugh, sorry. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you have a startup idea and a full-time job, come work with us. We'll respond within 72 hours and we'll be working with you on your idea by the weekend. And if you enjoy the pod, give us a rating and a review. On Spotify, you just tap the stars. It helps us grow and helps people find us. Have a great week.